Welcome to the second episode of the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. And I'm here today with... Madison Cooker. I'm a third-year associate with Lester Schwab, Hats and Dwyer, and I'm also an IPLAJ alumni, and um, I'm excited to talk with you guys today. And now uh, we have a very topical podcast this week because we're going to be talking about the Brangelina divorce. And luckily, we were able to get an interview with one of the most prominent Manhattan-based divorce lawyers, Jacqueline Newman. So we're going to listen to that first. Sounds good. I am here with Manhattan-based divorce lawyer Jacqueline Newman, uh, the author of the book uh, Soon to be X, and she has a very interesting perspective on the divorce between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Uh, could you describe that a little bit? Uh, sure. Well, I think that, you know, because obviously America's sexiest couple is actually a very unsexy divorce. I think that these people are going to settle out of court, even though I know there's a lot of media going on right now, especially dealing with these... Uh, allegations of child abuse by uh, for Brad Pitt. But I think that at the end of the day, they're going to come to their senses. They're not going to try this case out in the media, and that it's really going to get settled behind closed doors. Now, you brought up the potential domestic abuse situation. What was your take on that? Because it seems like TMZ is reporting on it, but the authorities are denying it. My guess of what really actually happened is that he probably was drinking more than he should have. I believe probably a child of his, you know, he does have six, probably was getting out of line and he was getting very, very frustrated and he probably yelled louder than he should have. Do I think that there was physical violence? You know, I think that when you're dealing with these types of situations, it becomes a very, very blurry line between discipline and actual child abuse. Um, so my guess is that it was something, you know, he probably maybe he grabbed you know, someone's arm or did something that, again, he shouldn't have done. No doubt, but do I think that that's probably going to render it to be full-fledged child abuse to the point that his access to the kids are going to be supervised or compromised? I, I don't think so. And talking about other outside factors, I was reading something that there's possibly a infidelity problem with Marion Cotillard and Brad Pitt. What effect could that have on this whole situation? It will actually have very little to no effect. I mean, outside of how it might affect any kind of negotiation, but from a legal standpoint courts are not interested in extramarital affairs unless we're dealing with any kind of financial situation where maybe he paid for things for her, but my guess is that probably did not occur. So you believe the power of the media is not going to be as important in this case, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say that is correct. I think that these two people, they don't need extra publicity. I mean, we're not dealing with anyone who's, you know, a starving artist here. And I think that they're going, they've made a major effort in their lives to keep themselves as much as possible out of the media. So I cannot imagine that they're going to be opening their doors to, some, to their house right now to the public to see what's really going on. Do you think that if they open their doors, that would possibly have more damage to their like international brands? I think it's a possibility. Um, again, they're such mega, mega stars that it would take a lot for them to be truly tainted. Uh, that said, you know, I think it's everyone's concern. I think that, you know, anytime you're dealing in the celebrity space, you, you know, either whether it's for your own actual brand or just the fact that you don't want, you know, your children's friends reading about things. I mean, there's a lot of factors when you're talking about the media um, in divorce situations and in any situation for that matter. So, I mean, I think that they care. Do I think that it's going to have a true impact on their brand? Probably not. 
Uh, do you think there's going to be a chance of joint custody in this situation? I actually think it's very likely that there will be ultimately a settlement of joint custody. Okay, any specific reason why? I think more often than not, clients do agree to joint custody. It seems from at least, you know, what we've seen is that he is a very involved father. You know, whether she will be the primary caretaker, meaning that she will be with the children more than him, that's a possibility, but I'm sure that, or I can't say I'm sure, but I'd say the likelihood is that there's going to be joint decision-making, which would, in essence, equate for these purposes to joint custody. And I was reading, um, I think it was an article on your website about what the lessons that people can learn from the Hollywood divorces. So do you think in this particular situation there was a plan and they knew what date they wanted to announce this? Or was it more just like out of nowhere? Well, it seems from what I've read is that, you know, there was an incident, I believe, you know, on, on this private plane, and then I think it might have been the next day or the day after that she filed. And my guess is that this was not actually an orchestrated plan. I think that she probably got very fed up with his behavior and wanted to show him that she was serious, and so she ran to a lawyer and her lawyer filed. So I don't get the sense, you know, this wasn't like when you send out the public statement together, the joint statement saying, you know, please respect our family. It wasn't one of those. So my guess is this was reactionary by her. She did it. And then he, you know, he did issue a statement after the fact, but I, I don't get the sense that this was, you know, kind of pre-planned. And do you think, basically, in this situation, I was reading on your website again, you were talking about the importance of strategy and keeping emotions in check. Do you feel like that's going to happen in this situation? I truly hope so. Um, I think that right now, emotions are obviously not in check in any way whatsoever, but... <laughs> Uh, I do think it's a very important thing, and I do believe that once everything calms down a little bit, assuming, of course, that there isn't a finding of a pattern of abuse, because if that is the case, then I think emotions are going to remain very, very high. But assuming that does not happen, I do think that they're going to come to their senses, and as I said, I think this will get settled behind closed doors. And I just wanted to ask a general question. Um, early last week, we were interviewing the executive producer of Notorious, uh, the new show on ABC, we were discussing with him how, like, lawyers sometimes manipulate the media in certain ways. In other divorce, like celebrity cases, how important is that tool in order to win, let's say, a negotiation or a divorce settlement? I think anytime you're dealing with a high-profile divorce, the media, it plays a role. I mean, it would be naive to think it doesn't. And, you know, you're only as good as people think you are. So when you are dealing with people that, have an image that they need to protect and that it really does relate directly to their brand, they're going to do a lot to make sure that it is protected. So I think it's a complete, you know, something, as I said, that's always considered, especially if you have one person who is in the public eye and the other person isn't. Those sort of situations, you always have that threat that they can just make a phone call. You know, there's always some publicist or there's always some media person that's willing to take the story. And so, yeah, I think it's a great concern, especially in the days of the Internet where you can have one article and it could just spread like wildfire. So I think it definitely plays a role. Um, you know, the strategy of it, you know, it exists. I think it would be naive to sit and say that attorneys don't consider that when they're figuring out what kind of settlement they want to get for their client. Okay, thank you. You're quite welcome. Stay tuned. Let's see what happens. Thanks again to uh, Jacqueline. That was a really good interview. So now um, Madison and I are going to delve a little bit deeper 
into the different things that we talked about in that interview? So I guess one of the first things that I found very interesting in terms of the interview was uh, a lot of the allegations of abuse and what kind of effect that might have on any of the divorce proceedings. You know, do you think that's actually something that really led to the divorce or is that something kind of like a name throwing mudslinging thing that's happening after the fact? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it seemed like Jacqueline was saying it wasn't a big thing that happened, even though TMZ is trying to make it seem that way, that it's kind of confusing that we don't really know all the facts, that we're just speculating here. I I don't know what the actual cause was. I mean, and I definitely think that's the case in almost every divorce and also probably in a lot of summary divorces where you kind of just see very small pieces of the puzzle and the, you see the things that the media wants you to see. So, you know, I don't think it's fair to paint a picture like that. I mean, we actually, I'm a big Bachelor, Bachelorette fan. I don't know if you are, but even uh, with the I whole... Mean, no, no, not at all. <laughs> but I understand some people like it. Guilty is charged, yeah. As people will find out next week, when we talk about wrestling defamation, I watch WWE programming, so I can't judge people if they watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette. <laughs> well, in that case, I will admit that I'm a big Bachelor Bachelorette fan. Who was that one... guy? Was it Felipe what? or something? Who was the? Oh, you're talking about Juan Pablo. Juan I think Pablo. In... Oh, Juan Pablo. <laughs> Okay, no, but so actually, very recently, uh, Andy Dorfman, who was the Bachelorette, got engaged on the show to Josh Murray, and they didn't stay engaged for very long. They broke up, and she actually wrote a tell-all book and said a lot of defamatory, slanderous things about him in their relationship that uh, he was emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, those kind of things. And there's been a lot of back and forth as to what, whether those claims can be substantiated. And I know he's sort of been doing a lot to try to repair his image in front of the media. He went back onto the Bachelor, uh, the Bachelor in Paradise, I think, in my opinion, to kind of try to show that he's actually a good guy. So, you know, the, the media paints you however they want to paint you. Do you feel cheated when somebody in The Bachelor doesn't get married in the end, the winner? Do you feel like, oh, this isn't right? This just defeats the whole purpose. Honestly, I think that makes the show seem a little bit more real. You know, if everybody got married, it's easy to say, well... The producers are actually paying you a sum of money, maybe, to get married at the end, or it's written in your contract you have to propose. So I think the failures kind of go to show a little bit that there is some reality to it. You know, it's reality TV after all. All right. I like this. We are a conversational podcast. Shout out <laughs> to Kind of Funny. Uh, but it, it's interesting, like, you know, Jacqueline's whole tagline that America's sexiest couple will have Hollywood's least sexy divorce. And when I first heard about, you know, when it first broke, I think CNN broke it. That's really good. I don't know why CNN is breaking that news. But... <laughs> it's obviously very important in the world today. <laughs> I don't think they broke it, but that was the first one that told me about it. But I didn't think it would be the least sexy divorce. But when you think about it, they do have a trademark, you know, and a whole brand to protect. So they don't and really want to get dirty in the media. They definitely don't. And I think what's interesting here is that, I mean, these were both really big-name celebrities even before any of this started, so they don't really need each other's money. And actually, as of a few hours ago on TMZ, it just came out that uh, 
It looks like Brad and Angelina actually have a pretty ironclad divorce. I'm sorry, an ironclad prenup. 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 That should hopefully make the divorce a little bit less messy. And according to TMZ, at least for what you can take it for, they basically spell out in their prenup how many properties are owned, whether those properties are joint marital properties or separately owned properties, who is going to get what in the event of a divorce. So they, it kind of sounds like they really planned for this and thought that it might be a possibility, which I think just kind of goes to show you how cynical Hollywood is today, maybe. But I think prenups can also be a very useful thing in a situation like this where you do have two very high-powered individuals who are successful and don't want to risk losing their name brand and losing their money. I mean, you know, is it really cynical? Like one time when I don't know why I was watching this, but I, I guess I was <laughs> watching uh, the Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Hey, and, it's better than The Bachelor, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't really know if it is or not, but I was trying I, to be nice. <laughs> it's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when uh, Chris Humphreys, you know, when he was on that show, and yeah. the mother, right, Chris. Right, the mother, Chris. Yeah, Chris, Chris Jenner. Chris Jenner. Chris, yeah, is this yeah, she's, Jenner she, now, or is it? I I think it's still Chris. Honestly, I can't even keep track. I cannot keep up with the Kardashians. Oh, <laughs> I don't even wow. know anymore. Wow. Okay. See what I just did there? I, I did see that. Well, I was gonna call them the Joneses. That's whatever. <laughs> but basically, she said you have to have a prenup. You know, especially when Kim was getting married to Chris Humphreys. Now, I still am the conspiracy theorist that think, thinks that from the beginning they were doing that only for the show and they were definitely going to get divorced. But even if that's not the case, I feel like even with Kim and Kanye, did they have a prenup? Probably. I mean, I, I would think they probably do. I actually happen to know there's a random tidbit of information, but uh, Kim and Chris were married for all of 72 days. And it looks yes. like uh, he turned down her first offer of $10 million in their settlement uh, divorce negotiations. So prenup or not, uh, you know, it doesn't always make things so easy or so uh, such a short bet that you're not going to lose a whole lot of money at the end of the day. Well, there was like an emotional problem going on there, especially. That's undoubtedly true. I mean, 72 days is definitely not a very long time, but you never know what happens between closed doors. Yes, we only see what he does on the basketball court, <laughs> which isn't that much, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, low blow over there. I, I, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> but it's very interesting how we were, when I was interviewing uh, Jacqueline and talking about the power of the media in these divorce cases – so even though it's not going to play a big role here, we could see in the past how that one especially, I remember there was a whole thing that he was on the nets at the time and, you know, Jay-Z is friends with Kanye West and apparently there was this whole like kind of cold whatever going on between, you know, Jay-Z and Chris Humphreys. It never was confirmed, but it is interesting how people can use different media outlets to their advantage in this process. Yeah, you know, I definitely, at the end of the day, I'm not so sure the media's image is going to affect the divorce negotiations because I think celebrities are so used to having things splashed on the media right and left at, at the end of the day, I think. Behind closed doors, they're going to negotiate their divorce or their prenups the way they want to, and hopefully they're, they're able to find an equitable solution. And I, I think in most of these cases, they kind of are. Um 
you know, one thing that's very interesting to me also is kind of the terms of a prenup and sort of what makes it unconscionable sometimes is that, like, you know, you can't be forced to sign it under duress. And one very interesting thing I saw in my personal life is uh, my aunt was actually semi-forced to sign a prenup the night before her wedding. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, or, I mean, I wouldn't say forced, right, because on one hand you can say, well, she had the choice to not go through with the wedding. She could have called the wedding off if she wanted to. But, you know, in a situation like that, I think goes into the question of whether a prenup is conscionable or unconscionable, or whether it should be held up in a court of law. I mean, unconscionable is always an interesting legal dynamic. I remember from contracts, it's very hard to prove. As you were it, saying here, was she forced or not? Right, you know, and I think the problem with that is being forced is a very subjective term. You know, if I paid a lot of money for a wedding and all my family and friends are showing up the next day, you know, no one might be holding a gun to my head, but I still might feel forced on some kind of much deeper emotional level. So it's, it would be interesting to see what the courts ended up doing in a case like that. My aunt actually uh, settled it out of court and never kind of went through with taking it up all the way with the jury or whatnot. But it would definitely be, have been interesting to see how they ruled. As all lawyers should. I don't think anyone's going to actually go through the whole trial, as we learned in law school. <laughs> You know, it's actually very frustrating for me. I'm a litigator, and most of my cases, the majority of them settle way before trial, and I happen to love trials, so I kind of wish that wasn't the case. I'm the opposite. I am your corporate lawyer, not through any <laughs> litigation, but I respect your litigation skills. <laughs> hey, you need both, right? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So um, it seems like it's going to definitely be a joint custody situation now who knows with this whole possible domestic abuse situation if he was screaming at the kids or something happened that could complicate that situation that definitely could and again i think one thing that's very tricky with allegations like that is that you really don't know what's true or not true and it's such a, it's so easy to make up an allegation like that just to get media on your side and there's really no way to prove it in a lot of cases like that you know, or what's a normal degree of yelling or what causes a line into abuse or, you know, again, lines get very blurred over there. Um, in a case like this, I mean, again, we have no personal information at all here, but by all accounts, it seems like they have a bunch of kids together. They were together for, I believe it was 12 years before any of this happened. So I kind of find it hard to believe that all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'd have this abuse happening. But then again, you never know. Very true. I mean, you never know, right? I do think what's good here is you have some children who are older and who are going to be able to speak for themselves in a court and be able to say what they want, whether they want joint custody or whether they want to live with their mom or their dad. You know, I think that always makes things a bit easier, too, in a divorce proceeding is when you do have kids who can speak for themselves. Because uh, a lot of times in divorce, the kids are used as bargaining chips and get kind of bounced around. How do you feel with that situation, though? Should children get involved like that? Should they make a choice? And then at the same time, you have this bargaining tool problem. That's really awful. You know, the, the, I don't think there's a definitive yes or no answer here. I do think you have to be able to take the kids aside when they're not in front of their parents without the pressure of feeling like they have to defend their mom or dad and speak to them and see what's going to be best for them. Um, you know, again, a good friend of mine heard husband had a lot more money than her and was able to afford a much better lawyer and he was able to get custody of the kids 
even though for him it was basically a way to use the kids as a bargaining chip. He didn't really want the kids. It was something that he was able to hold against her and hold over her head until she finally said, I'll give you whatever you want if you just give me custody. So I, I do think it's important, you know, and, and she would tell me her daughter would call her crying that she missed her and she wanted to see her. And so I do think it's important to listen to what the children are saying and give them a say because it is their lives. And I think to a certain extent they do know what's best for them. Interesting. Now, this with this week, right, earlier in the week we had the first presidential debate. So what is the fact? I think it's like the presidential candidate that has the most divorces or something going into you know, the election. <laughs> so I always remembered, like, he was one of the, you know, most strategic with his divorces because with his first wife ended very badly, that he lost a lot, a lot, a lot of money in that situation. I think the kids were also, you know, used in a certain way as well. But in terms of his second wife, Marla Maples, he basically planned it out, making those little prenuptial agreements that say, oh, if you get divorced within this time period, you're only capped at a certain amount. So let's say, I think in this case, it was $1 million to $5 million. If it went past that time, which it didn't when he got divorced from her, it would have been a percentage of his whole net worth, which at the time I think was about $2 billion something. What's your opinion on these types of clauses? I mean, those sunset provisions are pretty common, I think, in a lot of prenup agreements. And... You know, I think if it was a good marriage then and they weren't going to get divorced in the first place, then I don't think that – I would always hope that somebody wouldn't just get divorced when things are good to save themselves from having to pay more money down the line in the future. I think that those sunset provisions can be good in a lot of ways because in the case where somebody is married for a year or two, I think that does speak to a different level of the relationship than somebody who is married for 15 or 16 years. So, you know, I, I do think those kinds of clauses can protect both parties in a divorce, and I, I think they are good to a certain extent. I mean, do you really think it protects both parties? I mean, let's say in that situation. The problem there is, right, she's being forced to sign that if she wants to get married to him because there's no way he's going to sign it. It's really only protecting, you know, Trump in this situation. Well... I think that's actually one factor that courts will consider when looking at whether a prenup is valid or not, is whether or not both parties have legal counsel and whether or not both parties are protected to a certain extent. And if the prenup is really so one-sided that one party's getting everything and the other one's getting nothing, then I do think it would be deemed unvalid or unconscionable. But I, in a case like this where it says the more years you're married, the more you get, I sort of think it makes sense because if you're only married for a year, you take, we only gave up a year of your life, and you can move on and meet somebody new and kind of move on with your life a lot quicker than you could if you were married to someone for 15 years. But he's been married for a lot of years together. But then again, he's going to, if he's elected, he's going to be the oldest president of all time. So Is he? Guess that. Uh, if he's elected, he would be the oldest sitting president. Although Hillary, although Hillary Clinton is only a few months younger than him, I believe, oh or a I year younger that. than him. I didn't know yeah. that. Correct. Well, his doctor says he's the healthiest guy, so... I mean, <laughs> yeah, who is... His doctor was a TV doctor. Was it Dr. Oz or Dr. Dr. Oz, Sanjay? he's got some other crazy... I don't know. But we probably shouldn't get political. That's <laughs> we definitely shouldn't. Although Unless the we're going to talk about Gary Johnson. <laughs> Lepo. 
Uh oh. I'm joking. What do you? I, I love Gary Johnson, but no, he made that mistake with Aleppo. We won't get into it. <laughs> I am not gonna get into that one because I am over my head on that one. So. You gotta keep active in the political sphere. But I mean, it was a great debate. Great debate. But, but anyway, <laughs> time machine. Um, let's go back to first year property law. I don't think everybody realizes this because I only realized it because I'm studying for the New York law exam now. That new interesting dynamic that they made in New York. That when I <laughs> took property before that, I had the great professor uh, David Schmutty, you know, at Fordham. And he always told us the whole thing about New York with divorces, that they count, you know, any higher degree that you get as if you get married while in school as part of the property, you know, that gets, what is it, future I, earnings. I, I remember my mind was blown when I heard that in property law also and family law. Yeah, so uh, basically New York courts up until very recently, I think, were saying that if you earned a law degree or a medical degree or any kind of professional degree – while you were married, then the future earnings on that degree counted as your joint property. Yes. Um, I have very, very mixed feelings about that. Uh, I think on the surface, it's completely mind-blowing and sounds ludicrous and very unfair. But if you take a step back and break it down a little bit more, I kind of do understand the logic to it. I mean, of course, depending on the situation. But say, say one individual was staying at home in or rather, I'm sorry, not staying at home, was out working and kind of earning money for the couple so that the other person could be in school full time. And so they were sacrificing a lot on their end, too. It sort of does make sense that they'd be repaid in some way for that. I'm not sure if calling a law degree joint property is quite the right way to do it, but I do see what the courts were trying to accomplish by doing that. If you ask me, it made sense in terms of the individual facts of that case that set the law up. I think, it, I think it may have been O'Brien. I'm not entirely sure. Um, it makes sense there. Like the the uh, wife was basically full, like you know, being the breadwinner and taking care of him, and then as soon as he got his medical degree, he divorces her. Exactly. That's totally <laughs> wrong. But to have this before, I think it was this year or last year, to basically have it that every marriage is that way. It's his best advice that he gave was never get married in law school. Now, I wasn't close to getting married in law school, but if I was, I would wait. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there were many marriages during my law school class. I think most people waited. I guess they took that lesson to heart. I mean, now it was funny. Uh, there was a person in one of my sections that just got married. And that's when I was, uh, you know, going through one of the New York law exam, you know, online videos, which they're amazing. I said, wow, look at this. They changed the law. So I will definitely get that question right now because very important. It's very hopefully important. that hopefully that'll be an essay question on your exam. Oh, don't worry. Multiple choice. Online <laughs> take home exam. Multiple choice. Wait, the bar exam is online? The New York bar exam. This is because we're on the uniform bar now. I feel really old right now, and I've only been out of law school for four years. I didn't I know this. I think last year they switched to this. Wow. But um, very I, – I think it's better overall if you ask me because let's say you want to do New York and New Jersey as a lot of people do. You don't have to now take 
you if you have to take a New Jersey portion, it would just be online. I don't even think they have that. Right. I you mean, don't no, have to, I like, do take New York and New Jersey on separate days and all that. No, I mean, that really is a lot better. I actually did not take New Jersey, and part of it was because the idea of hopping into my car and driving into Jersey right after two days of New York bar did not sound like very much fun. Now it's just like you pay an extra fee. You know what? I'm going to give a plug to uh, Easel. Very interesting. Just go to search Easel. It'll come up. You can get CLE credit for going to Comic-Con. What? Yeah, I mean, like, come on. What? Go, going to Comic-Con, it's very interesting because as do entertainment law. It's basically a producer's panel. I think it's like from the page to the screen. Huh. And I think you pay, maybe it's like 100 or 200 They give you like a four-day pass, and then you go to a panel. You probably maybe write something on it. I'm not entirely sure. And they give you CLE credit. Now, I'm still in school, so I was like, I may skip Comic-Con this year. I used to do the press passes back in the day. But if I was a lawyer, you know, I would be like, hey, I'm going to go to Comic-Con and get my CLE credit. You know, it's interesting. There is some very interesting ways to get CLE credit. There is one that I'm dying to do that is actually uh, an improv class at the UCB Upright Citizens Brigade. It's an improv class for lawyers. Apparently, it sells out extremely quickly, but I'm, I'm trying to get in it one day. Sounds good. I mean, last time I checked, this Comic-Con one was still available, which I was... I was like, if I was a lawyer, I would have taken it. I I don't know what I would do with the CLE credits because it's kind of worth it because I think a four-day pass would probably run you 120 anyway. Oh, my God. Four days of Comic-Con sounds like my my kill me. You don't have to do all four days, right? I mean, you could – I think it would be legal to give it to another person. I'm not telling you to sell it. Don't sell it. Right? <laughs> Trying You're to get the listeners advoc- in trouble over here. We are not advocating that anyone does the CLE Comic-Con pass <laughs> and then sells it to someone else for the days they don't need. You can maybe gift it. I'm not even going to go on – I'm not going to go on the line and say you can gift it, but I believe you can. <laughs> I don't really see why that would be a problem. I don't think it would be, but then again, I'm not really sure either. So Noah – don't take my legal advice on that one. Yeah, and you we have are... to be careful. I am not a lawyer, so you have to be <laughs> careful. <You know? laughs> not giving any comic kind of legal advice. Disclose your soul. I, I like where this podcast is going. The first week, you know, just students. Now the second week, two actual lawyers we've had on the program. Thank so you guys for having there. me also. Yes. So um, is there anything else you want to wrap up? Any, like, advice or takeaways you see from these uh, celebrity divorces? Um, I guess really my one takeaway would be if I'm ever going to get married, I should probably get a prenup. <laughs> Even though I it mean, sounds very, un- you know, it sounds so unromantic, but I really do think there might be something to it at the end of the day. And I think a lot of these celebrity divorces, they all do have prenups. And I think it kind of makes things a little bit easier at the end of the day for all parties involved. I mean, I'm just going to say, if if my future girlfriend, future wife is listening to this, yes, I'm sorry. We have to get a prenup. I'm saying <laughs> this right now. Maybe this is how I break it. I go, did you ever know I did a podcast on Brangelina? And then, like, boom, right at the end. That was right there. This is uh, the old you know- Anthony telling the future <laughs> Mrs. Zangrillo, possibly. 
you know what, though, full disclosure, if I'm getting married and someone's talking about a prenup, I think I get pretty pissed off, too. I think it's very difficult waters to navigate, you know? It's, it's, a bus- it's very difficult waters to navigate, but you have to navigate them. You know, it's like, honey, I love you and I want to spend the forever with you. But if we get divorced, I keep all my stuff and screw you. Listen, <laughs> you know? Here on the Zangrillo Factor, this is the no spin zone. <laughs> so, so you have to be, you have to go into those waters and you really got to confront it. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. How's that sound? <laughs> Anthony, it has been so great talking to you, and thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you so much. So, as I always plug, go check out motionpictureclubs.com if you're interested in movie reviews, advanced screenings. Uh, We're having a cool event on Sunday sponsored by Red Bull, the fourth wave. You get to see the movie, and there's also going to be a little party. Uh, More information on the website, motionpictureclubs.com. Other than that... With Fortemy PLJ, we have a really cool event coming up tomorrow, right? This Friday, the 24th annual IPLJ Symposium, right? Now, as everyone recalls, we skipped last year. We decided to put everything into this one. This is the really big event, right? Starting the semester off right. And it's going to be a lot of interesting panels. Dean Diller is going to give introductory remarks. We have a general counsel from a former general counsel of Bloomberg. He's going to be a keynote speaker. We also have uh, basically a panel, copyright versus copyleft. That's one of the ones I'm looking forward to. Also a panel on viral videos. And then was uh, the IP licensing, right? I don't know if you heard about this. They're making the new guidelines, basically, of IP licensing and antitrust. So that's going to be also another interesting panel.